The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. If you're here for the first time, we really welcome you to this church. I hope you feel what God is doing in this place. We also welcome you if you're here listening today on podcast, especially from Avon Park, Florida. So we say hi to you today and welcome you to this church. Actually, what I'm really surprised about is that I fit into my kilt today. Uh, Not that I'm wearing one. This is a picture of me at our wedding. Uh, Yes, all the ahs you want to say are fine. But that was uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and I bought this 20 years ago, so miracles still happen. Um, (laughs) But we do this Kirkin of the Tartan. How many of you have been to a Kirkin of the Tartan before? Anybody here? It's something we do once a year here, and of course it's to recognize our, our denominational roots, the Presbyterian Church. It's to, it's, to, uh, it's to eat shortbread, and yes, it is to do those things. But really the reason we do it is because there is something about the flavor of Scotland that we want in this church. And what we want in this church is the sense of wanting to be opposite to what the world does that we live in a world which kind of all flows one way and that as Christ followers we're called to do something different. And so we want to kind of remind us of that every single year together. I grew up in Boise, which is obviously far from Scotland. My mother is Scottish. My father came from the Ewer Mountain West. And we used to go fly fishing as a family a lot. We'd go, of course, we were fly fishermen because we we were Scottish and uh, we were Highlanders. The Lowlanders were wet fly fishermen, but that's another story. But we were dry fly fishermen, and I love to go to the Salmon River in Idaho. I don't know if you've ever been, but it's called the River of No Return. It's a beautiful river. And they call it the Salmon River, of course, because there are salmon in the river. And I don't know if you know the life story of a salmon, but it's powerful. Essentially, what happens is a salmon is born way up high in the mountains somewhere. And then it swims down for its whole course of its life, sometimes out to the ocean. And then at the end of its life, a salmon will swim upstream against the current, usually uphill, up into the mountain, sometimes hundreds of miles. And just the image of these salmon jumping up out of the water, uphill, up water, if you will, against the tide, is powerful. And it's really what God is calling us to do as Christ's followers, to be those salmon who swim against the stream of this life. And I believe that whenever you see that in the world, whenever you see people going against the grain, whenever you see that tendency in a healthy way, you see the power of God. I believe that. Uh, We saw that a couple weeks ago in Arroyo Grande when a couple of firemen went into a house and saved a family in this place. And the instinct of what most people would do, right, is to just kind of protect yourself in this life, right? Why put your life at risk to go help somebody else? But they swam upstream when they did that. I don't know if you watched the news this last couple of weeks, but in Turkey, there was this terrible earthquake, 7.2. This huge earthquake, 500 people died in this earthquake. But I don't know if you remember this amazing story of this mom and this baby named Azra. And the mom decided that she wanted to give her life up for the child. And so after she could no longer breastfeed this child, she then gave the child saliva so that it could stay alive. And this baby lived And the baby is still alive today because this mom decided to swim upstream and do what is counterintuitive, to do not what saves herself but saves others. And again, you can find these examples throughout history. I I actually think this church has had this at the very heart of our church since the beginning. This cross that you saw out here on the way in to church, that was built by the Franklin family six years ago. It's an amazing cross, fifth generation Franklin family. 
I don't know if you remember that cross was knocked down about its second year here. The news came and covered that story. And, and I remember there were people in our church who said, you know, maybe we should just leave that cross down. Because it's safer and it kind of is in people's faces to have it way up there, way out there. You can see it from the freeway. It kind of is against the current of the world to do that. I remember we prayed about it and we decided to put the cross back up again. And then I don't know if you remember, the cross got knocked down a second time. Actually, the news media accused us of doing it just to get stories out of this. We know we're not smart enough to do that. But then we really debated, now, really, should we put this cross back up again? And we decided that, yes, that God was calling us to be like those fish that swim upstream. And we put that cross back up, and that cross is out here on the path. And whenever people walk by, they can see that. Because God calls us to wear kilts in a world that wears pants. We're not supposed to be like everybody else. And, of course, we get this idea not from the Scots, although the Scots have their own flavor for it. We get this from Christianity. I don't know if you think about this book much, but this book is a very radical book. It tells us to live our lives radically different from the way of this world. Whether it was five, ten thousand years ago with Abraham or Moses, or whether it was in the New Testament with Jesus or Paul, all of these people said, don't go with the stream. Go against the stream. Let's take a look at our text. Today, by the way, if you don't have one of these, we want to give you one. It's a free gift from our church to you. You can pick it up on the way out. But we're going to take a look at the book of Romans, and we're going to take a look at 12, 1 and 2, and Paul is talking to a bunch of Christians who were sent to Rome in order to be opposite from the Romans. Now, you've seen movies about the Romans, about their food, very strange foods, and their entertainment. They would kill people for fun, and about their sexual lascivity and They just were people who were just fairly depraved as a country, and so the Christians were supposed to go in there and be opposite from the Romans. But what was happening is actually the Christians in Rome were starting to act like the Romans. They were starting to talk like the Romans, dress like the Romans, think like the Romans. And and Paul says to them, don't be that person. You're called to be different. Let's take a look at our text. It's an amazing one. We're going to look at just two verses today. It begins this way, Therefore, says Paul, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Again, Richard just talked about giving time, talent, treasure. That's a good way to look at it. We're going to look at that this next couple of weeks together. But really what Paul is saying is don't think of your gift to God as the stuff of your life. Think about it as your life. In the old days when people went to church, it was like going to the state fair. They would bring sheep and doves and the, and the most perfect animals, like the state fair, we get the ribbons. So the more perfect the animal, the more perfect the gift, and the more honorable the gift. What Paul was saying is don't have your gift be a sign of who you are. Why don't you be that perfect animal? You be that perfect blessing, that sacrifice. And that will be pleasing to God. We just heard Caleb in Theater 3 do amazing things, but look at this next line, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Think about that. Worship isn't just the things that come out of our mouth when we sing or putting our hands in the air or clapping. It's actually our whole being. Your whole being is your act of worship. Give that to God and not try to be perfect, but simply perfect through Christ. But here's the focus of our text. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Don't be like them. Don't. The interesting, the Greek here is, is an interesting phrase. It's suschechama, uh, can't even say it. Suschamatis, that's a good way to clear your throat in the morning. Literally, it means don't dress like them. 
And if you want to look at how the Romans dressed, you can see it in the upper right-hand corner. They wore togas, and, and they wore these big gowns, and they would have perfumes, and, and they would wear those, those military outfits and those boots. And you can see how the first century Christians dressed. They were just simple. Don't dress like them and act like them and talk like them. Actually, the other image here is of a potter. And the image is that a potter will form a pot. And however the pot wants to be formed, the potter will make that pot. Of course, if a potter wants it to be a certain way, it'll, it'll change it here and there. But the point is, if we start to look like the world, we start to become formed like them. It isn't just our dress, it's the way we live. And this was what was happening with these Christians. They were acting like the Romans. They were worshiping the Roman gods. But he says, don't do that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, the Greek here is much better, but transformed, metamorphosis, meta means above, morph means change, changed from above, not mind, but being. Be changed from above your whole being. Be that person, and then you'll look like this, or actually some version of it in your own life. And then I love this, by the way, then you will be able to test and approve God's will. This is such an important difference between Christianity and most other world religions. Buddhism, for example, says just be, and that is your Buddha mind. Just be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A Buddhist would love that phrase, right? That sounds new age. But Paul takes it one step further and says, not so that you can be, so that you can go do something, so that you can test, that you can discern. That's the mark of Christianity, that you can actually go and help the world, be something in the world in an active way. I love this, so you can test and approve God's will. Really, another way of looking at this is purpose, so you can look at God's purpose for your life. Do you believe that? you have God as a purpose for your life? I hope that you do, but it's okay that if you sometimes question that. I talked to a dear friend who came to my office not too long ago. He said, can I ask you, Graham, whether God has a purpose for everybody? Maybe, maybe not everybody. Maybe I'm a mistake, he said. Maybe my life is a mistake and everybody else has a purpose. No, erase that thought from your mind. God has a purpose for your life. And not only is it a purpose, it's a good one. Look at the next sentence. It's a good purpose. It's pleasing. I like that, that he threw that in there. That it doesn't have to be this struggle, this life. It's fun. God has a fun purpose for your life. It's actually going to be enjoyable. And finally, that it's perfect. God's plan is better than your plan. His purpose is better than your purpose. Part of that purpose is to be opposite from this world. So I've been trying to think about an illustration that would really help us to understand what it means to be opposite from this world. And I talked to a friend of mine who's a pastor in Berkeley, First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley. His name is Mark Laberton. He was a pastor there for 30, 40 years, an amazing guy. But I said, Mark, have you ever heard a story of a person who just was totally really doing this the way I think God wants us to do? He said, oh yeah, there was a woman in our church by the name of Doris. He said, I'll never forget Doris. She was one of these people who was on the deacon's board. She would, she would help people all the time. She would always have her hair done on Friday. And then she would go to the church meetings. And it's the kind of person that every church needs. And she always made muffins for these meetings. It was, she was a great baker, so she would take a plate of muffins wherever she went to the meetings. She was known as Doris the Muffin Woman. And well, they loved her there, and as she was taking her muffins out of the back seat of the car, somebody came up behind her in Berkeley and took the butt of a gun 
and beat her on the back of the head such that she lost consciousness. And the person pushed her into the car, and he got in the car, and she's there laying slumped on the side of the seat, and he's driving the car. And a few minutes later, when she comes back to consciousness, and she's telling this story to my friend Mark, she asks the guy, what's your name? Mark, she said, Mark, is that a good idea that I asked him what his name was? Mark said, yeah, that, that's a really good idea that you did that. He drove and said, my name is Jesse. She said, well, why, why are you doing this to me? He said, I'm, I need to make a drug purchase. I'm going to go buy some drugs. We're going to the ATMs all around town. We're downloading $200 every ATM. And then when I get as much as I can, I'm going to throw you out of the car. Well, here Doris is trying to figure out all this. She still has blood coming from the back of her head. And, and she decides, well, this is her moment. She's going to be like that salmon at the end of its run, about to make its last deposit, because she figures, well, this might be it anyway. So she says, Jesse, why are you taking drugs? Drugs are not good for you, Jesse. Don't you know that? Drugs are not good for you. She, she turned to Mark and said, is that a good thing that I said, that drugs are not good for him? Mark said, oh yeah, that, that was good, Doris, good. Well, they kept going, and they downloaded $200 out of one ATM and $200 out of another ATM and $200 out of the other, and she finally decides to just sort of lay it out there. She says, Jesse, you need God. Jesse just kept driving the car forward. She said, another thing, I'm going to pray for you, Jesse. I'm going to pray that you get caught. And I'm going to pray that when I get called before the judge, I'm going to plead for leniency for you so you can get some drug rehabilitation. That's what I'm going to do, Jesse. Jesse kept driving the car, and he pulled the car over to the side of the road, and he let Doris out. He said, get out, Doris. And Doris said, I can't move. My, my head is still bleeding. Jesse picked up his gun, and he walked around the front of the car, and he walked over to the side of the car, and he opened up the car, and he had the gun in one hand, and he held his hand out in the other. And he put the gun back here again, and then he helped her out, and he gave her a kiss, and they left her there. Now, two months later, Doris gets a call from the police department. And they said, we have a kid here by the name of Jesse, and he says that he knows you, and that you might come down here. So not long thereafter, she sat before a judge and she said, yes, I know Jesse, he's a bad kid, I want you to give him leniency and we need to get him into rehab. And that's the end of the story. And I don't know where Jesse is today, but I do know this, that's the kind of radical living against the tide that God is calling us to. Because I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't have even asked him his name. <laughs> I would have been really afraid in this side of the car, and I sure wouldn't have said, Jesse, you shouldn't take drugs. And I definitely probably wouldn't have, even though I know I should, I'm a pastor, I wouldn't have said, Jesse, you need God. And I know that I wouldn't have gone down to the police station afterwards, and I know that I wouldn't have pled on his behalf. That's what God is calling us to. That's the kind of thing God is calling us to. And if we look, you know, you look at your own life, maybe you won't have a time like Doris, hopefully you don't, but your time is for you to swim against the stream. Maybe you just take your Bible to work with you and read for five minutes in the middle of the day. Or maybe you don't laugh at the jokes people say that are cruel about others. You just don't laugh. Or maybe you stand up for a person in the schoolyard who's being bullied and say, you know, that is not going to happen here. Or maybe 
you just take a moral stand, or maybe just being here at church is you're swimming upstream. Some of our lives just telling your friends, I'm going to church today, and they say, wow, you're really weird, especially because they wear skirts and play the bagpipes, whatever you want to do. But that's your stand. Maybe it's not cussing at games, it's cheering for people, maybe it's praying at restaurants publicly, maybe it's being kind in the middle of a tough argument, but God is calling us to this. And so let's just think about this. We're going to hear more bagpipes before the worship service is over, but I want to just pray with you about this. How do we become like Doris? How do we not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds? The first thing, most important thing is this. Living not of, I always get this wrong, in the world but not of the world starts above the world. It took me two weeks to think of that. I thought it was quite good. Living in the world but not of the world starts above the world. This notion of swimming upstream is, in the old days in church, used to be called living in the world but not of the world. So, uh, their Scots have this problem of always being kind of cheap and they never like to spend money. So this woman goes into uh, this uh, newspaper office and she says, I want to take an obituary out for my husband. And they said, well, how much, how, how much money do you have? She said, well, I have $5. Well, you're not going to get many words with $5, but let's see what you can do. So she writes, she writes, Peter Reed from Peter Heed is deed. And she hands it over to the guy. Because says, that's very good. For $5, we can do this. Peter Reed from Peter Heed is deed. Very well. Oh, she says, I've got an extra dollar here. Oh, he says, you can do some more words then. So she writes this tune. Peter Heed from... Peter Heed, Peter Reed from Peter Heed Deed, Ford Escort for sale. <laughs> I screwed that one up. Scots don't like to spend money. <laughs> so, well, what I'm trying to say is that this idea of being this, whatever God is calling you to do to do this, comes from God. It doesn't come from us. Actually, people that try to do this, whatever this is, swimming against the stream, it doesn't work has to come from above. I love this time of year. I love, I love sports. I love college football and NFL and golf. I was watching the great golfer Gary Player in an interview the other day. You may just know Tiger Woods, and you may know some of the big players today, but in the old days, Gary Player was really big. And he would beat Jack Nicholson and Arnold Palmer, and he was a great player. But he was actually quite short, and he didn't have much muscular strength. And so they asked him, well, how did you beat these guys all the time? And you can see, here is Gary Player praying as he's about to head up on the green. He said, one reason. God gave me the gift to play golf. And when he was done with me playing golf, he took it back again. He loaned me the gift to play golf. I love that. God loans us this ability to do this stuff. He gives it for a little while, and then he takes it back. That's what God does in our lives. It happens from above. Again, the Greek word here is metanoia, changed from above. You know why I love the image of the salmon? Because what is so powerful about this is scientists and biologists will tell you that salmon swim all the way upstream, maybe hundreds of miles, and in the exact place that they were born, they know from above that that's exactly where they should lay their eggs. You and I have the same instinct from God. He knows exactly what you should do at exactly that place. He'll give you the power to do that. 
The second part of this is this, and this is where it gets tough a little bit for us, is that is we as Christ followers are actually supposed to live in the world. I mean, sometimes we are supposed to wear pants. Sometimes we are supposed to go with the stream. And so you say, well, this seems like a contradictory message, Graham, but, but it really isn't. And I'll tell you how it works in this faith community. We often go with the stream on certain things that we can, right? I mean, we have secular music in church, and we do video clips and references. I mean, this is the flavor of Christianity that you're seeing here. There's lots of different flavors. One would be fundamentalism. Nothing wrong with it, but that's taking a beeline up the stream and never going backwards. And this flavor in this church is sometimes we realize we have to go sideways in order to get up the stream. And that's actually true in life. Some, sometimes we have to do that. People have asked me recently about Halloween. How, how does Halloween work with Christians? Well, this is a tough one because we know that the original Halloween comes from All Hallows' Eve, All Holy's Eve. It's the Eve of All Saints' Day. But we also know that Halloween's gotten kind of weird, hasn't it? In, in stores and such, you see things that just don't seem right. So this is where it may require us as Christ followers to maybe not go totally with the stream, but kind of go sideways and maybe up the stream. We are handing out candy downtown. We're living in the world. But there may be some costumes that you may not want to have with your kids, right? Maybe the elephant's a good idea. Maybe the little devil isn't. But that's an example of how we may not go completely with the stream, but we're going to go upstream a bit. We have to do that. Uh, this kilt I got, I got when I was in my 20s. I was so excited about it. It was, my, uh, it was in Scotland, and I was really thinking I would go and wear kilts where everyone wore them, so I got this kilt, and then I went up to this church in the north of Scotland, very serious church, and, but I was going to wear a kilt because I was going to be Scottish. So I went into this church, and I came late. I don't know if you've ever come late to church, but in this church, the lights are low, so you're fine, right? You can just sneak in, and that's absolutely fine. You can take off in the middle. It's all by, okay by us. But most churches, the lights are high, right? You can't come in late because everyone will go, huh? But anyway, I came in late to this church wearing a kilt. Nobody else was wearing a kilt. The pastor said, oh, we have an American with us today. Very nice. Great to have you. Would you tell us your name? So... Even in Scotland, there are times when wearing pants is a better idea than kilts. I went to a high school in Salt Lake City, Utah, where, uh, it, again, opposite religion for most of us here. But, so I would go to this high school campus. There was one guy in the church youth program who would come over to the high school campus wearing sandwich boards and a megaphone every day. And on the sandwich board, it said something like, repent, everyone's going to hell. So he's actually a pretty nice guy, and so I would see him at church. He'd be like, oh, good to see you on the campus of high school. I would say, yeah, it's good to see you too. And he said, well, uh, do you think it's working what I'm doing? You mean the whole going to hell thing with the megaphone? No, I don't. I don't think it's working. You're actually doing more harm than good. Oh, really, he said? Yeah, I said, why don't you just go tutor at the school? See, that would be kind of going with the stream a little bit. And then maybe you could kind of help kids find Christ in the process. And go take a shower. That would help, I said. But, so there are times when Christ, we're follow, called to go a little bit with the stream. And so then the last question is, how do we do that? How do we know when and when not to do that? And the only answer I have for you is Jesus is our model. Jesus was the great salmon. 
And he knew exactly when to go downstream and when to go upstream. His whole life was this fight to the very headwaters of civilization. I mean, his ministry began when he was 12. He came to the temple and his parents were there and they looked for Jesus and he was talking to the rabbis and the elders of the church and the parents came to him and said, Jesus, we've been looking for you all day. Where have you been? He said, I am in my father's house. And he shot upstream. And a little while longer, Jesus was collecting disciples. He was picking up the 12 disciples who were fishermen around the great lake of Galilee. And he said, why don't you leave your nets and follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And like a great salmon, he shot up the stream. And a little while longer, his very first miracle was the wedding of Canaan. Now, here was a chance for Jesus to be off by himself, reading his Bible, maybe praying by himself, and that would have been fine. But he decided to go with the current a little bit, and he made lots of water into wine. He didn't partake himself that much, but he did want to participate in this party. So he went sideways, and then he went up the stream. A little while later, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were trying to catch him at a game. They were trying to catch him at a trick, and they said, should we pay taxes or not? Because the Sadducees said yes, and the Pharisees said no. Yes, we'll get Jesus. And he decided to go to the side again. And he said, why don't you give to God what is God's, up the stream, and to Caesar what is Caesar's, sideways. And then at the end of his life, he's right before Pilate, at the very headwaters of his own life, and at the end of his life, Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus shot upstream when he said, Is that what you say I am, or does somebody else give you that idea? And then Jesus said, I am not of this world, but I'm of another kingdom. And that salmon shot up the river. And then with the last breath of his life, like a salmon at the last moment of his heart, he said, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. And he died. He came back to life again. And that's why we're here. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our souls. Thank you for our whole beings, which we want to be for you and not with this world. I pray that you would give us the courage to do that, but not of ourselves, but something that comes from you. Father, I thank you for this incredible church, this flavor of faith you've given us here. Help us to know when to go upstream and when to just go with the flow. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.